Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. It's always a blessing to be here with you, to gather, to worship together. I'm thankful for the opportunity. Pray that Brother Jeff and his family has a wonderful vacation time. He's, he's a much-needed vacation that he's earned, and we're grateful for that opportunity and thankful for a church that provides that for their pastor, this time of refreshing. This morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 30 through 36. And as you're turning there, uh, we're going to be looking at the subject of freedom. Here it is, July. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we had the 4th of July and celebrated the birth of this nation. And as grateful as we are of this nation, it pales in comparison to the redeeming work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I am overwhelmed by the love of God that would love a sinner such as I. And many of you sitting here, I'm sure, feel the same way. But you know, we live in a world that's occupied with the subject of freedom. They're looking for individual freedom, cultural freedom, political freedom, financial freedom, and sadly to say, identity freedom today. Men and women want freedom to live as they please, regardless of the cost to anyone else. Webster's defines freedom as the quality or state of being free. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as the state of being able to act without hindrance or restraint. A couple of synonyms come to mind with that. You think that individuals want to have their sovereign rule. They want autonomy. They want to be free to do as they please. They want to do what they want to do regardless of how it impacts anybody else. Whether it be friends, parents, spouses, governments, or even God. They want to do their own thing. There was a young lady had on a t-shirt and this beautiful butterfly on it. And the caption on the back said, butterflies are free. I don't know what she was thinking, if she might have been a Charles Dickens fan and she had read Bleak House and knew the story of that and how one of the characters in there said, I only asked to be free. Butterflies are free. I don't know if she was a Charles Dickens fan or she just liked butterflies. But you know, butterflies, as beautiful they are, can only be butterflies. They're not birds. They're not bats. They're not swans. They can't fly to the moon. They don't fly around in the rain. They hide themselves in the rain. They can't go down in the water. Butterflies were created to be butterflies, weren't they? And you and I were created the same way. We were created with a purpose, a purpose to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so that is where true freedom comes from, and that's what we're going to be getting into is 
who we were created to be and what we were called to do, to glorify God in all that we do. The world is concerned about freedom, but few people ask, what is freedom? Or if I were to have that true freedom, what would I do with it? Let's listen to what Jesus had to say about freedom in chapter 8, verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, if you're a student of the word and you're thinking these things, we want to know what that means. We're kind of jumping in the middle of this text. And realistically, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 7 would be the context that this conversation is coming from. There's a little interjection at the first part of chapter 8. But for the most part, all this conversation goes all the way back to John chapter 7 at the Feast of Booths, which is a great study in itself. And I would commend you to read John chapter 7 and chapter 8 up to this point uh, to kind of fill in those gaps. But we do want to mention that what he's talking about, about these things, he's told them in John chapter 7 that he was anyone that come to him that was thirsty and drank from him would never thirst again, would never hunger again. He was telling them that he is the sustenance of life. He was telling them that he came from the Father. He was just telling them that his words are true because the Father is true. And they were having struggles with that. Some were listening to it with awe and wonder, and some were uh, taken back by it especially the religious leaders. They still didn't like this guy. He was rocking the boat. He was causing them friction and problems. And yet they're the ones that should have spotted him right off the bat, should have understood who he was. So what does he go on to say? Even in John chapter 8, he says that, um, John chapter 8, let me turn around real quick. My mind is bouncing all over the place this morning. In verse 12, he said, uh, he says, I'm the light of the world, Jesus says in verse 12, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And see there again, this Pharisees said he was bearing witness about himself. There's still this struggle of trying to understand who Jesus is and what he is, what he's doing. He's confident in his identity. He's trying to get them to see his identity. And he goes on to tell them a couple of times there that if they don't believe in him, that they will die in their sins. And yet they're still pushing back and pushing back. So here we are now in verse 30. It says that some of these people believed these things. And in verse 31, he said, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. In John's gospel, when it says the Jew, that's indicating a people, the religious people, the antagonist of, against Christ. But he says to them, if, catch that, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. 
the Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Notice what Jesus' first word was to them, if. That's a conditional word. You're either in the word or you're not in the word. And Jesus is talking, he's melting all of humanity down to two classes of people. Those who are in the word, those who are disciples and those who are not. It don't matter what country you come from, what ethnicity you are, your social economic background, whatever it may be. There's only two people in the world, the people of God and the people that are not of God, the people of Satan. The Jews were confused about freedom. Look at how they missed it, what their response was. Here's man's resistance to God's freedom. And what I'm trying to do here this morning is expose true freedom. That's the title of my text, exposing true freedom. But man's resistance to God's freedom. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Immediately, they want to talk about their family ancestry, their identity. But the audacity to say they've never been enslaved to anyone. If you've been around the scriptures any length of time or listened to history, you understand that the Jews have constantly been in bondage. They spent 400 years in Egypt. In the book of Judges, there were seven different times that they were ruled by other nations. They were ruled by the Assyrians and later 70 years in Babylon. And even now, they're under the rule of Rome. So the reality of freedom can be elusive and it can seem out of reach. But often, we let other people and things define what freedom really is. They didn't understand their culture and we don't either. And why not? Uh, If we think about it, statistically they say that we hear 20 to 30,000 words a day. And Forbes magazine says we see between four and 10,000 commercials or hear four to 10,000 commercials a day. That seems way out there. You know, so maybe we need to tune it down a little bit. But in the process of that, we understand that people are only going to grasp about 25% of what they hear. So, you know, I I got higher hopes than that for you guys because that means only you're going to hear 25% of what I got to say this morning. But we pray it'll be what God wants you to hear. Not my feeble words. But how do we know that this is the case, that our culture is dealing with things like this? We can look at that in in a couple of ways, just right off the bat. I love this verse in Proverbs 27, 19. It says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects his heart. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks in Matthew 12. In Luke's gospel, it says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil out of the evil treasures produces evil. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what do we speak what does our hearts reflect? What are we passionate about? What, is, what are you passionate about? That's really the thrust of where your love is at, is what you're passionate about. Now, granted, we all have jobs. We all have things to do to provide for our families. But in the back of our minds, we could still be and should be 
listening to God's word. We're his, as his children, we should be actively involved in transforming the workplace, doing what he's called us to do. So when, when you reach into your heart and you pull out your treasures, what is your treasure? Is it God? Is it Christ? Or is it something else? Jesus is trying to drive home to these Jews here. <clears throat> it's not about their family. It's not about their offspring. It's not about ours. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. These are all other, all other items, whether it be materialism, family, job, whatever you want. All of those are counterfeit freedoms. They're counterfeit freedoms. They keep us tied down. So to understand what Jesus is after here in this passage in John chapter 8, <clears throat> I want us to think about God's path to freedom in abiding. And then we'll look at God's procedure for freedom is truth. And God's provision for freedom is Jesus Christ. First, God's path to freedom is abiding. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Freedom, according to what Jesus is telling us, is not an absence of restraint, but rather it's abiding in his word. To abide means to remain or continue, to be steadfast in. And it has to do with time and place and a state of condition. If we're oscillating back and forth, we're not being stable in our thinking and in who we are in our identity and who we are in Christ. You can get confused and drawn off the course of time. He is to be our magnetic north. He is to be the one that we find our life and sustenance is. He's the one that we wait for and we live with. Our society wants instant gratification, doesn't it? And so we can be tempted that too about all these commercials we see. Have this freedom, have this, have that. But what are they doing? Actually, it's counterfeit freedom because we wind up taking on more debt, taking on more responsibilities that wind up putting us in bondage. He doesn't want us to be that way. And if you, in the word, you know John 15, 4, he says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, unbelievers will scoff at that, right? Oh, what do you mean I can't do something? I can do anything I want to do. Yeah. What can you do? Decide not to take another breath. Let's see you do that and live. You can't do that. We require the next breath of air from our creator, from our God. We require physical energy and stamina from our God. Everything we have. Paul said, what do you have that you did not receive? Exactly. Everything comes from God. We're to be abiding in his word. That abiding has the idea of being in union with some, someone and something. And in, for this case, it is abiding in his word. And Jesus is the word, the living word, the logos. That's who he is, the word. He's the spoken word. He's the living word. And his word touches our hearts and our minds, our reasoning and our thinking. I'm meditating. What are we meditating on when we're by ourselves? What are you meditating on when you're by yourself? That's really the essence of who you are, who we are when we're alone. What are we thinking about? 
Is it an addiction? Is it materialism? Is it that bigger house? What is it that we're thinking about? Addictions. Jesus said that you're to love me, with, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors as yourself. So if there's anything that we're going to be addicted to, it should be God. God should be our sole purpose in life. And yet I understand we all have families. We struggle with these things, but ultimately that's our motive in life. Anything we're doing besides honoring and glorifying Christ and glorifying God is, is diminishing from who we are to be as children of God. So absence, freedom is not the absence of restraint. Because if we think about it, if everybody wanted to be free, we would have anarchy on our hands. Pure anarchy. Because we would be infringing on everybody else. They'd be getting mad at you because you're infringing on their rights. But you're using your freedom to infringe on their rights. Right? I mean, we don't live that way. If we did that on the highway, what would happen? If we got out here on our road and started driving on the left side of the road, just because we're going to drive on the left side of the road, we're going to be in trouble. Right? We might can do that in other countries, but not here. What if the banking institutions didn't have regulations to take care of your finances and a fiduciary responsibility to care for your funds? Boy, we'd get all tight about that, wouldn't we? So see, you know, rules and regulations, things that take care of us are good. We, it's not a lack of freedom that we need. We need true freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. It comes from only him as we abide in his word. Notice, if you will, in verses 31 and 32, the sequence that Jesus uses to point these out. He says in verse 31, he says, abide in my word. And if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples. In verse 31. In 32, he says, you will know the truth. In 32, and in 32 again, it says, and the truth will set you free. See, there's a prescribed order to that. If we get that out of order, we're going to be out of balance. If we're not in his word, we won't be his disciples. We won't know the truth, and the truth won't set us free. If we make truth our truth, as we hear in our culture, that's your truth. This is my truth, a subjective truth. That's true to you, but it's not true to me. But there's got to be some foundation of truth that is real, some foundation of truth that exists outside of ourselves, and that's God. God is the, the truth, the life. And in fact, that's what true is. The definition of true is whatever conforms to reality. Well, who, who, who controls reality? You? Me? No, we don't. God controls reality. What it is and what it exists, that's him, that's God. So if we look at it and we think about it, a true freedom comes from truth. But the only way we have that truth is by knowledge. And that knowledge is through faith. It's not just a blind faith. It's not just a faith that you say, oh, I've heard that story. And then that's not saving faith. It's a real faith. It's a faith that you can trust on, you can rely in, rely on. The reformers used three Latin terms to talk about faith. It was notia, which is knowledge. You've got to have knowledge. You've got to have some sort of knowledge and information. You've got to believe that. And then it's ascensious, which means to rise to the next level of believing that truth. So there's this truth here. You hear this truth. Okay, I see that truth. You come to believe that that's true. The analogy that's always been used is a one of a chair. 
You see this chair here, there's different kinds of chair. They all look different, but they have different kind of legs, pedestals that sits on it, supports your body. That's the information. And then you come see people sitting in it. I see you sitting in chairs. Okay, I sent to that. that. That must really be a chair, right? But for me, I haven't sat in that chair yet. It's the third part, it's fiducia. It's a word where we get our fiduciary, someone who's taking care of our finances and taking care of fiduciary responsibilities for a company or whatever it might be. At that point, you, if you sit down in that, that's saving faith. You gotta have all three levels of that. Because the devils, James tells us, even know and believe. But it's not a saving faith. Jesus' disciples, he chose them, he said, in uh, John chapter 6. He said, he chose, he did I not choose you? And one of you is a devil. Speaking of Judas, who would betray him? So just because Judas was in the circle didn't mean that he was part of a, a true believer. Right? So you got the you got to have the knowledge. You got to assent to that knowledge. You got to trust and rely on that knowledge. And years ago, we were at a conference, and John Piper got up and followed up. R.C. Sproul talking about this, and he said, "Oh, but John, R.C. said there's one thing you left out." He said, "Not only do you have to have the knowledge of the chair, not only do you have to agree with the knowledge of the chair, and trust the knowledge of the chair, but you got to love the chair. You got to love." So in our situation, we let a love Christ. For illustration for me to uh, kind of explain this a little more would be, uh, I don't know how many of you heard of Charles Blondin, a trapeze, an arrow acrobat. We were all a little young for him. He was 1859, he crossed uh, the Niagara Falls, 1,100 feet, 160 feet above the water, 1,100 feet walking across the river the raging river. People said he was crazy. Maybe he was. But he was confident in what he was doing and what he was doing. He was in one with the, the guide wire, the rope, three and a half inch rope he was crossing. He even got his um, producer to ride on his back across there. And he cautioned the producer riding with him. He said, now look. He said, don't be trying to balance and correct me. He said, you just become one with me. Let me take care of it, and we'll cross the Niagara Falls together. And he did. Later on, he pushed somebody in a wheelchair across there. He'd done tumble salts across it. He stopped out and cooked in the middle of it. Done all these different things. And, and then he got back a couple of occasions, and he saw the crowd, and they were cheering because he'd made it all the way across and back. He's pointed out, he said, I want you to go with me. The guy said, no, not me. He said, why, do you think I cannot do that? He said, no, I know you can do it. I just saw you do it. But I don't trust you with me on your back. Right, see? So that wasn't saving faith in that case. He didn't trust him to take him all the way across the, the river and back. But with Jesus Christ, we have to trust him. If you, that's real saving faith. When you trust him, he takes you all the way to glory to be with him. So if any sequence is missed in this that Jesus is telling us the results will not be true freedom. It will be uh, a partial freedom. Freedom is privilege and power to become all that God wants us to become. Freedom is the opportunity to live for the glory of God. The virtual believing Jews, in verse 30 and 31, they got things out of order. They were thinking about family. Pride crept in. 
It's all about me. It's about my heritage. It's about they didn't recognize the Savior when he was right before them. They were thinking on a physical level. Jesus is talking to us on a spiritual level, even today through this passage. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Practices. It means to make. It means to do. Anyone who is practicing sin is someone who's producing sin constantly. Someone who is constructing sin, forming sin, fashioning sin. They become the authors of sin. They're doing sin to one another. They're spending time in it. They're passing time in it. Again, what are we doing with our minds and with our bodies day by day? We're called to be Christians 24-7, not on Sunday morning, not when it feels right, not when the church gathers together, but every day in every place. He's called us to do that. So the practice of sin is the practice of disobeying God. John picked up on it again. He said in 1 John 1.6, if we say we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness, we lie and, the, and do not practice the truth. We lie, the big lie. We lie to ourselves. We justify ourselves and condemn others. 1 John 3.4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Paul said the same thing in Romans 3.23, didn't he? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We become a slave to it. We become a bondservant to sin if we live in that. And granted, we struggle with the flesh and we sin. But that shouldn't be the who we are. That should be totally opposite of who we are as believers. It should be the most unlike us of anything we do. We confess it. He's forgiven us and move on. But it's not cheap grace we're talking about here either. Because if you got the idea just because I trusted Christ and he's forgave me, I can live like I want to, then you're not honoring the blood of Christ that bought and paid for your soul. And I'm not either. I know uh, Owens is kind of catching a hard rap in, uh, you know, in, in his book, Mortification of Sin, we've been dealing with. But truthfully for me, as an individual who loves Christ, I appreciate being warned about these things. And that's all I'm doing to the body of Christ today is just warning us, are we abiding in Christ? God's path to freedom is abiding. Are we doing that? Romans 6:15, Paul kind of picks up on John 8 here as well. What then? Are we to sin because you're not under law, but under grace? By no means. There's that cheap grace he was trying to, he was telling them not to be doing it. Don't do it. By no means. Do you not know if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you're a slave to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So the worst kind of slavery is bondage to sin. But Jesus sets us free from that from the guilt, the punishment, and the penalty of sin. Has he set you free? Our brother that joined the church this morning said the pastor of the church they were at always asked, today is the day of salvation. Is it a day of salvation for you? For most of us here, we're probably professing Christians. 
but are we living like Christians? That's who we are. So there's God's path for freedom is abiding. And God's procedure for freedom is truth. God's procedure for freedom is truth. The two forces at work today in our world, one from heaven and one from the world. The principle of heaven is from truth. The principle of the world is always full of lies, counterfeit lies. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world. For us, for the believer, we haven't received that spirit. We were once in that spirit, but not now. But the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Satan doesn't want us to understand the truths of God, the things of God. He doesn't want us to abide in God's word. Why? Because he's a liar and deceiver. If we looked on down, and if you've got your Bibles open, in uh, John 8, 43, Jesus asked them a question. He said, why do you not understand what I say? He goes on to say, it is because you cannot bear it to hear my word. This is uh, not a popular message. You know, and it's hard for me to stand up here as loving a guy as I am and to preach it. But it's the truth. Sin is repulsive. And to call somebody a sinner that they, can't, they don't have ears to hear, they don't have eyes to see, and they don't want to follow, that's repulsive to a lot of people. But for us who are believers, it was what brought us to life. The Holy Spirit taught us this truth and helped us to see who we are. But he goes on to say, why do you, you, uh, you cannot bear my, to hear my word? Because you are your father, the devil, in verse 44. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Talking all the way back to Genesis. We was reading about this morning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. See, all these words keep pointing to truth. What is conforms to reality? God is what conforms to reality. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. In 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Boy, that's pretty blunt, isn't it? What are we doing with our lives day by day and moment by moment? Are we more prone to live like the devil? It says something about your soul. It says something about your heart. You're digging in that heart and you're pulling out those treasures you're chasing after. We shouldn't be doing that. We ought to be pulling out good things of treasures. Joy, love, hope, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, tenderheartedness. That's what ought to be coming out of our hearts. But if it's not, we're practicing sinning. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But yet, listen to this. This is the reason the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. And he did on that cross. He said, it is finished. Our sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. Think about that. If he'd have said north and south, you may have heard this before, but if he said north and south, you start traveling north, you get up the North Pole, at some point you're going to be traveling south. That's not very far. I mean, it's still far enough, but it's not, it's not like east to west. You start walking east, you're always walking east. If you start walking west, you're always walking west. And his hands, Christ's hands, were spread out for you and for I on that cross. He's wiped the slate clean cleansed us and justified us by his precious blood, set the spirit to indwell us and empower us. 
because that's where this truth is coming from. There is a spirit of the world and a spirit of God, and the spirit of God now dwells us. Satan lies to men, women, and children, boys and girls, keeping them in bondage because we want things our way. As Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. Wonder what his way got him. It may have gave him some pleasure on this earth. I don't know about his spiritual condition. But if he never trusted Christ as his Savior and lived for Christ before he died, never confessed Christ before he died, he's, he's reaping eternal punishment now and for the rest of eternity. The world says, there's a way that seems, the Bible says, there's a way that seems right to the man, but his end is death. Think about it. Where are you going? What, what's your purpose in life? Who are you following? Are you abiding in Christ? <clears throat> we sang this song this morning to remind me, and I was so grateful that God's providence worked that out. Matthew 7, 6, 26, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus talking, and does not do them, you're not abiding in his word. You're not doing his word. You'll be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and it beat the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Satan lied to our first parents. They continue to lie to ours. We don't have time to go through Romans 1, but if you read through Romans 1, what's happening? They suppress the truth but they're without excuse. They become futile in their thinking. Their foolishness in their hearts are darkened. They exchange the glory of God for images resembling mortal man. He gave them up to the lust of their flesh. Don't be messing with God. Trust him, believe him. Man sees no need of God because he thinks he's God himself. The Jews had believed the big lie their ancestry, and we do too. I was thinking about, mentioned earlier about how sometimes we put our careers as men, especially men, I'm talking to you, we'll spend hours on end learning how to be the best and proficient at our job and our task and spend very little time being learning about how to be a good Christian. I know because I walked there. I know what it is. I'm, I'm not trying to browbeat you. I know what it's like. You gotta to learn to balance all that, put it all together. We're called to be different. We're called to live different. Our friends, the friends, but scripture says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Bad company corrupts good behavior. If you're around bad company, maybe you need to find another job. If you're around bad people, maybe you need to move on. We have a Bible study, we were talking, reading in Mark, talking about where Jesus says to cut our hands off. If your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. Your eye calls you sin, pluck it out. Your foot calls you sin, cut it off. Now, he's speaking hyperbole, but the point being is he's giving us something to, inside our heads to, to hold our ears apart. And it's a brain to think about what, he's, what we're to be doing. We're to learn. We're to be wise. But there again, we let counterfeit freedom, counterfeit addictions take over our life. And we need to fight against it. We've got to lean into the truth, be abiding in Jesus' word. We've got to be abiding in Jesus' word. Did the people, did the Jews there like what Jesus had to say? No. Some of you sitting here may not like what i got to say. Uh, I'm sorry for that. I hope you won't do this, but it, down at the end of chapter 8 and verse 56, he, he, Jesus told them, he said, your father rejoiced, talking about Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. 
The Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What'd they do? They picked up stones to throw at him. They were going to try to stone him to death. Sin will cost you. Not abiding in Christ will cost you. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. So we have freedom in his truth in three different ways. Freedom through the truth in the Son of God. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not multiple roads to, to God. There's one road through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to be abiding in him and growing in him, in union with him, just as the vine is producing fruit. We gain this freedom through truth and the word of God. John 17, 17, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. And this agrees naturally with what Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32. If you abide in my word, you will truly be my disciples. What is a disciple? A servant, a learner. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's real freedom. Freedom to do what we were called to do. No longer in bondage to sin. The natural man is always proclivity to follow sin, to chase after sin, to do the things that oppose God. He may do some good things, but ultimately his motive is for his own gratification and his own grandizement. But if you're a believer and you're abiding in the word, we're to be producing fruit that, that honors and glorifies him because it's all about him, isn't it? It's all about him. It doesn't matter where we are in our life, <clears throat> what's, what's broken in our life, the brokenness we've been through, the brokenness that somebody else may have caused you, God can turn all that to good. He's promised to do that. He's promised to do that. So it doesn't matter where we come from, what we're doing. Abiding in Christ changes everything. Being in Christ, having that new identity sets you free, truly free. And he said in John 10, 10, he said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. Oh, my goodness. That is, that's, that's for real. I'm telling you, it's for real. I was broken down. I was miserable. Been through some hard stuff. And when that verse really caught hold, the glory of God, who he is in this scripture, abiding in this word, it changed my life. I was uh, thinking of another example and I'm, I'm getting close here. I'll have to finish up. I know I'm running long. <clears throat> I got some, a little oak tree out by the yard. We moved in this house and I got some brush begone trying to kill this poison ivy that keeps cropping up. You know, these little suckers will pop up and I spray that stuff. Thought I was just spraying a plant. But you know, I got to noticing that tree. The limbs on the bottom limbs on that tree started turning, the leaves started turning brown. I said, uh-oh. I hope I hadn't poisoned my tree too much, you know? And I think about that in our lives. What are we doing with our lives? Again, are we abiding in the word that's protecting us from that kind of stuff? Are we we've toying with the world? So these poisons are getting into our system and into our mind and, and affecting who we are as Christ, children, as Christ followers. It's important to think about.
But when I quit spraying, a few months later, the green started coming back out on the tree. Hallelujah. Right? That's what happens with us. You got to get in this word. You got to dig. Your word is truth. Sanctify them with truth. And the word is, the word knows where to go. <laughs> Jeff's already preached through it in Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 12, 13, for the word of God is living and active, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. It don't matter what you do in the, in the dark, away from your family, God sees you. God knows. Live for Christ. Love him. And then the spirit of God. Freedom through the truth is in the spirit of God. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. God's word is true. He's truth. God's path for freedom is abiding. God's procedure for freedom is truth. And finally, God's provision for freedom is Jesus Christ. John 8, 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Hallelujah. Has Jesus set you free? I pray he has. And if he hadn't, I pray this would be the day for the days of salvation for you. It'll set you free from legalism. It'll set you free from traditions of man. It'll set you on a road to freedom walking with Christ. He wants us to be free. That's why in Matthew 11, 28, and 30, he said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. There it is, learn of me. Abide in my word. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So remember, freedom of uh, life is controlled by truth is motivated by love. And the bondage in life is controlled by lies and motivated by selfishness. So whether it's political freedom, spiritual freedom, freedom is a costly thing and it cost our Savior his precious blood. God's path to freedom is abiding. God's procedure for freedom is truth. And God's provision for freedom is Jesus Christ. I want to finish with one last illustration. I run across this while I was studying. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with, I, I know you know, know Michelangelo, the great artist and sculptor who sculpted the statue of David, painted the Sistine Chapel. He was building, he was carving out of marble for Pope Julian's tomb uh, some figures that would be around embellishing around the tomb of Pope Philip. But he didn't get finished on them because he had to go work on the Sistine Chapel. So he's got some of these figures, these big blocks of stone sitting there and you got arms coming out and you got his legs partially protruded out of that big block. It's just this big block of granite holding that person there. And it marvels me how they can see that figure in that block. Well, they, they chip away everything that doesn't look like the figure they're trying to create. But they're called the captives. They're at Prague or somewhere in France in some museum. You can look them up. And so they got these figures around. And I was reading the quote by Theodore Roeder, an author. He said, when he looked at those partial figures, it stirred up in me a deep longing to be completed. 
and hey, to be set free from, which, from that which distorts and disguises and imprisons and inhibits my humanness, my wholeness. But as with those statues, you and I cannot liberate ourselves. We need the hand of another. We need the hand of Jesus Christ in your life and mine. We need to be abiding in his word so that we're his disciples. So we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your loving and gracious God. Think about Psalms 136 this morning. It talks about how long-suffering you are. Your love endures forever and your long-suffering. Thank you for that. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for sending Christ, our Redeemer. Thank you for being our God and making us and adopting us as your children. I pray there is someone here today that doesn't know you, that they would, today would be the day of salvation, that they would come talk to, uh, to me, to one of these elders, somebody. Think about these things through the week and stir our hearts. And for the rest of us, I pray it's an encouraging word from the Lord to guard our hearts, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. May our lives flow with the love of Christ and his grace toward each other and one another as we go through the days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.